Well, this is a discipleship message. This is uh, shepherding coaching. Um, This comes out of a personal observation over the last several months, um, talking to many believers and fellow brothers and sisters as they have journeyed through what we all have since March, frankly, which is an irregular reality, uh, an unstructured challenge as it relates to COVID-19 and all of the changes that have occurred in our culture. Um, I'm at the age of life or stage of life where fitness is, has to be intentional. Um, it seems like as you progress in life, calories do more for you than they used to do. Fitness does less for you than it used to do. So fitness goes away faster. Calories seem to accumulate greater. Uh, Back in March, I would argue that I had worked pretty hard to stay physically fit. I had a little routine going, and it had been consistent. And uh, I was enjoying a measure of vitality that uh, sometimes escapes me. But then COVID-19 hit, and at the university where I serve, life changed dramatically. In the middle of March, we were meetings and decisions and trying to decide how to navigate the new normal, whether to keep the students on campus or to get them off campus. We went remote. We have been, frankly, adjusting in a moving target reality, I guess like everyone else, since March. And uh, things have not been normal. Irregular rhythms... Um, out of the normal structure, and uh, back in, well, a month ago, 30 days, Thanksgiving was my target celebration. 30 days ago, I did a self-assessment, basically, you know, looking at the scale, looking at my fitness, and going, you know what, those 15 pounds just accumulated really fast. Um, The regular rhythm of my exercise routine had not been consistent. It had changed, and my reality had changed, and it had affected my fitness. So for the last 30 days, I made up my mind that I was going to restructure. I was going to commit myself to a greater level of intentionality, A, what I would eat, B, what I would do relative to exercise, and I was determined, Thanksgiving being my target, I was going to do whatever it took to get fit in the last 30 days to do as much as I could to get back where I needed to be because I felt the difference. And if you've ever been out of shape physically, you know you don't feel good. You don't feel vibrant. You don't feel vital. You don't feel alive. You don't feel capable of the things that typically you are desiring to do. You get sluggish. You get uh, just worn down. And when you add to that the cultural realities, the pressures, the stresses, the normative things that happen being different than they have been lately, it's impactful. And I want to use that kind of physical illustration to connect to a spiritual illustration, and that is the same thing that can happen to you physically when you're out of rhythm and structure can happen to you spiritually. The normal routines are not normal. The rhythm of your life changes, and it affects your spiritual vitality, your faith fitness. 
And I've talked to enough of you, and I've talked to enough students and faculty and staff and others to recognize that this season has not been the easiest season to sustain faith fitness, spiritual connectedness, a vitality, a vibrancy that is critical to walking with Christ and enjoying the things of God, out of rhythm, irregular structure affecting your spiritual vitality. So here's a question by way of beginning. Six months ago, healthier spiritually or not compared to today? On a scale of 1 to 10, are you 10 being Christ-like, 1 being I haven't seen a Bible in ages? Where are you on the scale of spiritual fitness today? In order to be physically fit, you have to have rhythms and exercise. You have to have a regular routine to foster fitness. And this is a devotional study I really began to reflect on back in September in recognition of the challenges of being spiritually connected and faith vibrant in a season like this. And I wrote a devotional that I'm turning into this morning's encouragement called Growing in Grace, COVID Conditioning. This is a faith fitness routine for a challenging and irregular season. I want to offer you this morning five practices, five daily practices to promote Christian progress and spiritual prosperity. Five daily practices to promote Christian progress and spiritual prosperity. I thought of a lot of titles for this. Growth in grace, growing in grace, COVID conditioning, faith fitness, postures of progress. But let me boil it down to this. You want to have a vibrant walk with God, these are non-negotiable essentials daily. This is what a Christian needs to do in order to be God-connected, faith-vibrant, healthy spiritually, enjoying a life that's truly life, irrespective of the changing circumstances around us. Listen, it's not just the world around us that's discouraged, confused, and afraid. Christians can be confused, discouraged, and afraid. And if there's not a God connection, if there's not a regular routine relative to the things of God in your life, you are not going to be healthy. You're not going to maximize this unique opportunity, both as a light and a witness, and to grow through the challenges created by something outside of our control. Listen, you've heard me say this at least many months ago. This is a purposed providence. It's not like the world is out of control as it relates to the things of God. God is in control, and He has a purpose for all of this. And it's not just a global purpose. It's not just a national purpose. It's not just a regional purpose. It is an individual purpose to do a work in us that otherwise would not get done. And you cannot argue that any of us have lived through any seasons quite like this one. So what are the ingredients that foster advancement, spiritual prosperity, personal growth, 
Christian progress in a season like this. Here's five things I want to present and promote to you to pursue on a daily basis. And they're based on your posture. They're based on the focus of your face. And they involve critical priorities. Practice number one, bow down. And I tried to get them all on one hand. So number one, bow down. Posture number one, bow down. Face down. Face down before God because he is our maker and because he is a great king. This involves two things, worship and surrender. No Christian advances on any day. No Christian advances on any day who does not start the day in recognition of who God is and who we are. Bowing down is a posture, face down is a recognition that He is God and I am not. He is great and I'm not so great. It is about worship and surrender. Psalm 95, follow with me. And I'm going to just highlight some core principle perspectives to promote these priorities in your daily journey. Listen to the psalmist. Three times he says, come. Five times he says, let us. And then he caps it with the word today. Do it now. Oh, come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come. Second time, come. Second time, let us. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him. Why? For the Lord is a great king, or great God, and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for it was he who made it, his hands formed the dry land. So David is saying, one, he's great. Why is he great? He's a creator of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. He is a great king. He is a great creator. Verse 6, come. Third time, come. This is an imperative of command, come. Every Christian, every recognizer of God as creator and king, come. Let us, watch it, worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, Why? Verse 7, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Now watch this. Today, if you would hear his voice. Now when he says today, he's saying immediately, now. Today, every day's today, which means regularity. There's immediacy and regularity to this call to come and do what? Give thanks, worship, bow down, sing, and praise. Why? Because God is a great king. He is our maker. He is the provider. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand, which means he leads us. He provides for us. He sustains us. He is worthy of worship from us. Listen, here's what a Christian ought to do daily, every day. Get on their face before God. Now listen, this can be helped by getting down on your face before God. Now some of you have a hard time, like I do, getting up after I get down. 
But sometimes getting down on your face in recognition, that posture promotes face down. You are God. You're the king. You are worthy of worship. And listen to this. And I recognize that. And I surrender to you in light of that. Turn over to Psalm 2. Because bowing down is surrender and worship and recognition of who He is. It's a call. It's an invitation. It's a daily invitation. It's a today invitation. It's an everyday invitation. It's an everyday expectation in recognition of who God is. And the verse that I didn't read after today is, do not harden your heart. Do not refuse and reject the surrender and worship that is rightly due God. Psalm 2, in recalibration, bow down, surrender and worship in recalibration. I wanted to touch on Psalm 2. Psalm 2 involves rebellion. Psalm 2 says, I know you're king. I don't want to, to submit to your rule and your reign. Verse One, Psalm 2, why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers take counsel together. Watch verse 2, against the Lord and against His anointed. Now watch what they say. They're standing up, not bowing down. They're taking their stand in an adversarial position. They're not bowing down in submission They're standing up in an adversarial opposition. To what? Verse 3, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the rule and reign of God is a shackle and a chain to my life. It's not freedom, it's prison. And I don't want to live under the domain of His sovereign authority. To which God says to the kings, the rulers, and the nations, verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Where is God sitting? On a throne. God is seated on an absolute seat of all authority. And as king, he sits in the heavens and he laughs. At what? The rejection, the rebellion, the opposition, and the determination. We don't want to do what you want us to do. We will not acknowledge your authority, to which he laughs. He scoffs at them. And this is what he says to them in his anger, verse 5. I will terrify you with my fury, but as for me, I have installed my king. Upon Zion, my holy mountain. So here's what God says to the nations that reject, and frankly, any man and any peoples that reject his authority. When you stand in opposition to me, I laugh and I respond. I mock and I will terrify with fury. I will address your rebellion and rejection. And I will remind you this, I have installed my king, which is a reference to the king of kings, Jesus Christ, who has been inaugurated and coronated at his ascension as he went to the 
throne of the Father, the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days said to the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, I give you a dominion over all peoples. God says, I've installed my King, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus Christ the righteous says in verse 7, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. This is the Son talking. You know that, verse 7. He said to me, the Father said to me, Thou art my Son. So the Father, the Ancient of Days, says to the Son of Man, Today I have begotten thee. Now, it's not begotten like brought into existence. It goes back to verse 6. I've installed you today. This is the coronation of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. He's been inaugurated and installed. The Father says, I have installed my King. And the Son says, I am the King he installed. Today I have begotten thee. Verse 8, ask of me, God said to the Son, and I will surely give thee a nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware, which is to say you have sovereign authority over everything. The king who sits has installed the king who rules which is Jesus Christ over all of the nations. Now, this is what I want you to see in this passage. You can be a rejecter and a rebeller to which God laughs, mocks, and terrifies with fury. He changes nothing. He's already established who will be king. It is not you. It is not them. It is him, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And listen to what the Bible says in verse 10. You ought to do as a consequence of who he is. Verse 10. Now, therefore, O king. Show discernment, which is to say, think, recognize what I just said. Show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Watch verse 11. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Trembling is fear. It's rightful recognition for who God is as the sovereign over everything. I want you to worship Him, kings. Use discernment, O judges. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Look at verse 12. Do homage to the Son. Now, the word homage is kiss the Son. Do you know what would happen in ancient cultures? We don't have kings in our culture, but if we had a king in our culture and you were to come before the king, you would pay homage. You would get lower than he is, and you would bow down and kiss either his feet or his hand in recognition of his place versus your place. It was an act of worship. It was an act of honor. Do homage to the Son, who is who? The King of Kings installed by the Ancient of Days. Do homage to the Son, lest He become angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled, which is to say, you can't just blow God off and there be no consequences. You can't do this and not endure loss. So while there's time, use your head. Don't do what the nations did. Don't do what judges are prone to do. Kiss the sun, bow down, surrender, worship, and honor. Look at the end of 12. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. How? By submitting to his rule and by trusting him and his sovereignty. 
Listen, you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king on the planet, maybe the greatest king to ever live. He enjoyed more wealth and privilege apart from Solomon than any other ruler ever. And he went through a series of challenges, life challenges. He got a vision. The vision troubled him. He called in the interpreters. They couldn't interpret. Then Daniel's man, endowed with divine wisdom, came and interpreted the dream. And the fundamental bottom line to the dream and the outworking of that vision in reality was until Nebuchadnezzar, you recognize that the king of heaven rules over the nations of men. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go through seven cycles out in the field, under a tree, under the dew of heaven. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose your rule. You're going to lose your privilege until you recognize that there is a king in heaven who rules over the affairs of men. Now, Cornerstone, there is no fitness possible that does not begin with bowing down, surrendering and worshiping, acknowledging who is God and who is not. There's no day that you can progress where you stand up and say, today it's my day and I'm going to do my thing. Fitness of faith, COVID conditioning begins with bowing down. No matter who you are, this is non-negotiable. It is magnetic north on the spiritual compass that is meant to guide and govern your choices and your actions today. Posture number two, the second daily practice. Number one, bow down. Number two, kneel down. Kneel down is face up. You're kneeling down, but you're looking up. Face up to speak Because God is your Father. The first posture is to bow down because God is your Maker and King. The second posture is to kneel down and look up and acknowledge God as my Father. To do what? To confess and to ask. To confess sin and to ask for help in categories of life where you have need. I chose face up because when we sin, we tend to hang our head. And what I want to remind you of is what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 reminds us of, is we can draw near to the throne of grace. We can come boldly with confidence through we enter into the holy place, the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. My right standing and your right standing is purchased and secure because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and for you. The Bible says you can come confidently. The word means without reservation. It means to speak openly. Listen, when we violate, fail, and harm others, we have a tendency to not look them in the eye. I want to argue that primary and critical to being a faith follower of Jesus Christ on a daily basis is recognizing that, one, I fall short every day, which is why the Lord's prayer is, forgive me my debts as I forgive others who are indebted against me. Harry, every day, falls short of the 
standard and the desire both in thought and action that God designs and desires for me. What does a Christian do daily? They look up with unreserved confidence, literally face to face, without fear to say to the Father, by way of His grace towards me, this is where I have fallen short. These are the confessions of my heart. This is asking you to relieve me of the debt of my own failure, to restore me, to, to provide me a sense of community and connection with you. Confessing my sin and then asking God for provisions from his matchless throne of grace. Go over to Joshua chapter 23, and I want to just give you an exercise to think your way through in this category of kneeling down, face up to speak to God your Father. The first thing you do is look up in confession for cleansing and restoration. Now, here's the second big idea I want to punctuate for you. There's no day that you start with God that doesn't begin with surrender, and there's no day that begins with God that doesn't involve confession. Sin is a separator. And the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of the work of Christ is if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, release that debt, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True spiritual vitality is the product of walking in the Spirit. When I live with known sin or sin that I've not come to know until the Spirit of God provokes and convicts me, I inhibit the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I quench the life of God. Confession is not an act of shame. It's agreeing with God and saying, I'm not what I ought to be. I, I confess that. I, I agree with you. And I'm asking you to cleanse me and change me. The reason I pointed, to you, to, pointed you to Joshua chapter 23 is because these are the last words of Joshua to the people of God that they might enjoy prosperity in the land of God. These are the central core convictions that ought to drive them as they move forward into the land that was the land of plenty, the land of promise, Canaan, the land of blessing. Listen to what Joshua says to the people, essential and non-negotiable for their enjoying prosperity in the land. Verse 6, be very firm then, says Joshua, firm, resolved, to keep and to do All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, i.e. the will of God, do it, know it, and do it, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Leaving the way is living in sin. I want you to know the word of God. I want you to resolve to do the word of God, lest you deviate from the path of God and enter into sin. Verse 7 in order that you may not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. I want you to stay on the path, and I don't want you to be distracted or negatively impacted by the culture around you. I don't want you by association or by connection to 
be impacted in a way that allows the gods of the nations to influence you. But rather, verse 8, you are to cling, cleave, or hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. In other words, stay tuned in and calibrated to my word and don't be distracted, derailed, or influenced by the culture around you. Don't turn aside, but rather cling to the Lord in an exclusive, unrivaled commitment. The question to ask is, have I been distracted by the world and the culture around me? Am I associating with the world that is anti-God? Am I culturally connected to things that cause me to serve or bow down to things not God? Am I holding fast in an exclusive, unrivaled loyalty, verse 8, to God and God alone? The second posture to take is kneeling down and asking yourself questions. Have I been faithful to His Word? If not, confess it. Have I been connected with or sucked into the culture that is around me, its values, its priorities, its perspectives? Am I associating to my detriment to the end that God is not the focal point, the exclusive and unrivaled focus of my life? Posture number two is kneeling down, looking up, and doing an assessment that says, God, these are some categories I need to recalibrate. The second thing you do when you're kneeling down is looking up, not just in confessing, but in appealing, begging, and petitioning, God, help me for my needs. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's a daily prayer, daily bread, daily forgiveness, daily protection. It's daily acknowledging the Father. It's hallowing His name. It's seeking His will. It involves physical needs. Feed me. Give me today my daily bread. It involves relational needs, both with God and with one another. Forgive me my debts as I forgive others their debts towards me. It's keeping me out of spiritual trouble. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. When I'm in trouble, rescue me. The Lord's Prayer is a daily prayer on my knees, looking up, saying, God, help me physically, relationally, and spiritually. God, your will be done in my life today. The early church fathers, we've been studying early church fathers and their their thinking. One of the things they practiced was called simple prayer. Simple prayer is praying on your mind things to God to get them off your mind. When you begin your day and you seek the Lord and you're looking up, what is it that is in your mind that can be a burden and a distraction? Praying it off your mind as it comes to mind in order to cast those cares upon Him. Looking up in need. Simple prayer. Praying what is on your mind until it's off your mind. Casting your care 
calling to him for physical needs, relational needs, spiritual needs. Get a rug that's comfortable to kneel on. Get a pillow that's comfortable to kneel on. Or be like James, who was called camel knees, who was so often in prayer that his knees were calloused. Every Christian ought to have a posture that says every day, your God, bow down, face down, kneel down, looking up, saying, God, I need, I've come short, help me so that I can walk with you. Third posture I offer to you today. Bow down, kneel down. Thirdly, sit down. Sit down is sit down face in the Word of God. This is face in the Word of God to learn because God is your leader. You're bowing down because God is the King. You're kneeling down, facing up, because God is the Father, your provider. And you're sitting down, face in the Word, to learn because God is your leader. You face down, or you face in, rather, the Word of God. Here are the key words, to learn and to listen. This is learning from God, your leader. Turn over to Psalm 4. I want to show you what I mean as an example of this approach as a Christian daily to God as your leader. I've put a couple of ideas on my notes here to emphasize, and the first one is illumination. The second is nutrition, God strengthen my soul. And the third one is direction, God lead me at the crossroads of my life. But I want to emphasize illumination because this is God and me conversation. For you to be spiritually fit, you need to see your relationship with God as a personal interaction. Me listening to God me talking to God, God talking to me, and God listening to me. This is relational. This is conversational. I want to give you an example. I was in Psalm 4 recently, and I walked my way through it. I got caught on verse 7. I was thinking, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. That's what David is saying. God, you've put joy in me that exceeds the joy they know even on their best day. You have put gladness in my heart, which is greater than, more than when their grain and new wine abound. When the harvest is in, when, when things are plentiful, when, when there's prosperity, blessing, abundance, and festivity, there is natural joy. But your joy you've put in my life, your gladness, exceeds that best day kind of gladness. It's better than. That's the verse that caught my attention recently. And so I walked through this psalm, and I want to walk through it with you to give you an example of what should happen when you sit down. You learn and you listen. You actually have a conversation by virtue of what God is saying to you and what you're saying back to Him. You personalize the Bible. Verse 1, "'Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness.'" 
You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. What would that sound like if you were talking to God these words today? I wrote this, I need you, God. Please help me, for without you I cannot be right with anyone. You're the God who makes me right. You're the God of my righteousness that makes me right with you. You're the God of my righteousness that makes me right with others. I need you, God. That's why I'm calling. Please help me, for without you I cannot be right with anyone. You have helped me in the past. Look at what it says. You have relieved me in my distress. That's past tense. You have helped me in the past, and I'm counting on you to be gracious to me again. That's why I'm praying. God, I'm talking to you. I'm trusting you. You're my own. You're the, you alone are the source of my help. Look at verse 2. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? If God were talking to me, it might sound like this. Harry, why are you hesitant to be identified with me, fearing the loss of their empty acceptance in pursuit of things that truly don't matter? How long will my honor, your connection with me, become a reproach to you? Identifying with me and you're fearing the loss of their empty acceptance? How long will you aim at the things that truly don't matter? Harry, think about this. Look at verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Harry, this is what really matters, verse 3. You're special to me. I've set you apart. You are special to me, and I've set you apart for myself because you are loyal to me. That's what a godly man is, loyal to God. And I've set you apart. Remember that. Don't forget that. And I hear you're never alone. You're never helpless. I answer when you call. The idea is is to walk your way through a passage of Scripture in a conversational way as if God were talking to you. Listen, because He is. And when you respond to him, you're interacting with him in a way that is relational, illuminating, listen to me, and transformational. Christianity is not about checking spiritual boxes. Christianity is about a life relationship with God himself through the person of Jesus Christ and through the living word of God as the spirit of God ministers grace to you. There is no Christian vitality that doesn't involve bowing down in surrender and worship. There's no Christian vitality, faith fitness, that doesn't involve kneeling down, confessing and asking, face up. And there's no Christian vitality, not today and not any day, that doesn't involve face in the Word of God, listening and learning responding and communicating, praising, adoring, worshiping, engaging the person of God revealed through the Word of God. Spiritual fitness involves bowing down, kneeling down, and sitting down. And if that makes sense to you, would you say amen? Let me give you two more. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 6. 
The fourth posture is standing up. Standing up, face forward, in hope. Trusting because your God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Standing up says, I receive the words of truth. I believe them and I am facing forward today in hope. I'm standing up and listen to me, I'm standing strong. I called you to Ephesians chapter 6 because Ephesians chapter 6 recognizes the challenges that are ours because of the resistance of our enemy and the world around us governed by his dominion and influence. And Ephesians 6 has two verbs in it that are meant to challenge every believer to daily action. The first one is in verse 10. Finally says at the end of the book that is to display the character and conduct of a Christian because of the goodness of God toward them, because of his many boundless mercies. Verse 10 says, finally, you need to do something. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, the word be strong is a passive verb. It is receive strength. It is a present passive verb, which means daily receive strength. This is not make yourself strong. This is receive strength. Well, what kind of strength? Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The strength which consists of the power of God, the might of God, receive that. Receive God's strength. The second verb is in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, our struggle, our life and death. It's struggle is a wrestling match to the death. For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because you have this supernatural adversarial resistance and assault on your spiritual life and vitality, take up, verse 13, the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, that's the day of assault and challenge. Every day is not an evil day, but there are days that are evil where the enemy is assaulting you. Be strong, receive strength which comes from the Lord, and stand strong against the enemy and against the forces of wickedness in high places. Look at verse 13, having done everything to stand firm. And then he goes on to describe the armor that you're to put on, all of it involving the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, truth applied. And he goes on to describe the the elements of our weaponry. Turn over with with me to Romans chapter 4, and I want to emphasize the idea of receiving strength which comes from the Lord. Why? Because you recognize you have much resistance. The world, the current of the culture, the enemy and the days of personal assault, 
How do you receive strength? By receiving the promises of God and standing in belief upon those promises. The story, the illustration, involves Abraham and his faith. Verse 17 or verse 16, rather, for this reason it is by faith, Romans 4, that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, watch this, who is the father of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed. That's Abraham believing God who gives life to the dead, calls into being that which does not exist. So here's what Paul's saying. Abraham believed God in light of what God could do. Not based on his circumstances. His faith was in the promiser and what the promiser could do. Verse 18. Here's the illustration. In hope against hope, he, that's Abraham, believed, key word, in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. The promise of God, your seed will be like the nations. That's the promise. Verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed. Hope against what? the circumstances and the situation and the natural realities that Abraham was dealing with. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. I took a, here's Abraham. I took a good hard look at my physical condition, past the age of being able to have children. I took a good hard look at my wife past the age of having children. But despite my circumstances, in hope against hope, I believed, not in my circumstances, but in the promiser who has made statements to me that I can bank on. Verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Watch this. But grew strong through what? Faith. Where did the strength come from? From believing in the promise. He exercised faith in, the, in God who calls into being that which does not exist. He gives life to the dead. God can do anything. He's made a promise. I won't look at my circumstances, or at least I'll look, but they won't influence what I believe and how I live. Because what I believe and how I live, what I receive and what I do, is the promise and the product of what God has said, not in what I see. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, grew strong through faith. And what did he do? He gave glory to God. Being fully assured that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. All right, Christian, here's an everyday routine. After I 
sit down, look in, I learn and listen, I take promises made, and I stand up, and I believe them, and I receive them, and I live as if what God has said is true, no matter what I see. That gives glory to God. And you know what else it does? It strengthens me. Strength is produced in me. He grew strong through faith. Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. By faith, verse 8, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Faith moved him, faith motivated him, not what his eyes saw, but what his heart believed, what God had promised. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. Her body became capable of what otherwise it wasn't capable of. She grew strong in her capacity as a woman. She received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he of whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Christian, there is no Christianity that doesn't stand up and believe the promiser and stand in the promises that he has made by faith. There's no strength. There's no power. There's no capacity to resist in the evil day unless you put those truths on like the armor of God and stand confident in the things that he has promised. Verse 33, chapter 11, Hebrews after he names Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith, verse 33, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, watch this, obtained promises. By faith, they obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Now watch verse 34. They were from weakness. They were made strong. Here's the fourth exercise and practice to perform. Stand up in faith. Face forward in hope, trusting because God is the promiser who keeps every promise. Receive it and believe it and live like it. It not only, faith like that not only pleases God, it changes your reality in life today before God. Listen, things happen around you. Things are happening around us that are beyond your control. Stand on the promises. Stand up in faith. Be strong in the Lord. Receive the power which comes from Him, which consists of His power and might. 
And listen, I know you don't need to be reminded of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Ephesians chapter 1 says, The power toward us who believe is the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him above every power, principality, and every, every entity that would be adversarial to the work of God in you. Jesus resurrected by that power. That power is available to you. Live in it. It's the product of believing what God has promised to you. Number five and finally. The fifth. So you've got bow down, kneel down, sit down, stand up, step out, live out, trust and obey. This is follow me. This is live out the truth and obedience. This is face out in mission. Face out in mission and ministry for the Lord God is your master. He's not just your promiser. He's your master and leader in ministry. What area in my life requires faith and trust today? What does obedience look like today? What does kingdom service look like for me today? That's the question to be asked every day. I'm stepping out. I'm going to serve you today. I'm going to trust you today. I'm not just going to believe. I'm going to act in obedience. I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to live it out in honor of the one who has called me to follow, to take up my cross, and live for him. This is one-hand fitness. COVID conditioning is everyday commitment to stand up and to step out. I want to encourage you to do something the next 30 days till Christmas. Do that. Bow down, kneel down. Bow down, face down. Kneel down, face up. Sit down, face in. Stand up, face forward. Step out, face out in mission and ministry. Every day, the next 30 days. Commit yourself to a plan of fitness that will strengthen you change you, and impact the world around you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do today over lunch or wherever it is you sit and have fellowship today. I want you to share and discuss your favorite fitness, spiritual fitness techniques. What is it that you do that helps you walk with God? Have that conversation today and develop and commit to the next 30 days, whether it's my five or some adaptation that says, I'm intentionally going to pursue faith fitness in a season that it's hard to be faithful. Where the world's coming at me, where circumstances are challenging me, interrupting and disrupting me. 30 days. I'm going to be what God wants me to be to the end that he is honored and glorified and that I'm an impact player for his glory. The last encouragement is 
agree to a spiritual workout partner. Every fitness routine I've ever been a part of physically has benefited by accountability. So I want to encourage you to talk to one another today about the ingredients that make you spiritually healthy and vibrant, the techniques you can employ, whether it's the Word of God and the things of God, and then enlist an accountability teammate to say, you know what, whatever my number is, 1 to 10 today, I'm going up in the next 30 days. And I'm committed to the exercise spiritually that will transform me internally so that I am what God wants me to be, and the world gets to see the one who is worthy of worship. Can you say amen to that? So this is a discipleship message, an everyday workout routine, and I'm interested in hearing what God does to you and through you for his honor and glory. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for the treasure of opening your word. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters Lord, we're in a a long journey together. Every day and every week seems to bring new variables, restrictions and challenges. And Lord, they're many and they're varied. And Lord, I pray that this commitment of spiritual vitality, this faith fitness routine will be a, a foundation upon which we can navigate the unpredictable realities that is now our new normal. Lord, Proverbs 8 says, Wisdom calls out from the high places where the paths meet. Instruction is given. At the gates of the city where decisions are made, wisdom speaks. And Lord, as we navigate forward, I pray that where the paths meet in our life and where the decision points come, we'll enjoy a wisdom from heaven because we are daily pursuing you on our face, in your word, Lord, committed to the things that matter the most. And I pray that we'll have an exclusive, unrivaled relationship with the one who is worthy, will not be rebellious will be submissive, will not be afraid, will be full of faith. And you will put gladness in our heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. Bless us as we bless you. Strengthen us as we trust you. To that end, I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.